Welcome to the audiobook speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. Joining me tonight in the Speakeasy is a phenomenally talented voice actor who has narrated documentaries, taught many classes in voice and speech, narrated well over 100 audiobooks, and won a couple of audies in the process. Carol Monda, thanks for stopping by the Speakeasy tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you could make it. I know we had a little scheduling snafus happen along the way, but I'm glad we finally got together. Yes, you know how life happens, and I'm glad that you're uh, as flexible as you are. Oh, yeah, no problem here. The speakeasy is very relaxed. So, uh, so what are you drinking tonight? I am having a fine Reposado tequila. Oh, nice. Um, I also have a, a bottle of water here that's room temperature and some iced tea. Tequila. So, you know, at any given moment... <laughs> I'm, th- I'm three fisting it. Could be any one of any one of three <laughs> things. Uh, yeah. what, what kind of tequila you got going? It's eighteen hundred. Oh, so it's, yeah. it's uh, made in uh, it's made in Mexico, and yeah, I guess that's just the name of it. Yep, eighteen hundred. Eighteen hundred. Huh. All right. Well, yeah. I am joining you with a glass of XO brandy. Really? I am. I'm wow. on the the tail end of a cold, and I figure uh, having a little brandy would would not hurt. Absolutely. That's a great idea. Yes. All Especially right. if you uh, put it in a little hot water at some point. So, you know, I recently had a hot toddy and, and I made it with bourbon, but I know that you can make it with uh, with brandy as well. And I think I might try that next time. Yeah, it is better with whiskey, they say, in terms of <laughs> killing the germs. But but I think the brandy is soothing. Yes. Know? Yes. All right. Well, cheers. Cheers. Ba-ding. You are uh, in New York. Is that right? I am. Yes. I live in the East Village near Union Square. Talk to so many people in New York now. It seems to be kind of a hub. Kind of is. It's a big city (laughs) as they go. Yeah. Where are you from originally? I was born in uh, Wayne, New Jersey, which is maybe mm, less than an hour on the bus from, from here. But by the time I was 12, I moved like 10 times. My dad had wanderlust with his jobs. Um, so I lived in Iowa and Minnesota, a uh, very young age, like from two until eight, oh. um, and then Virginia for a little while. So it it was a varied uh, geographical upbringing, but but I still consider myself a Jersey girl because we eventually went back, and so I did high school there. And uh, well, that's um, that's funny. So you grew up in you grew up an hour away from New York City, moved all over the place, and ended up back in New York City. Exactly. Isn't that funny? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah. So, um, so is there any place besides New York City that, that you really, really liked? Well, um, in terms of where I lived, I very much enjoyed Washington, D.C., which is where I went to college. Uh, and then I stayed there for 13 more years um, doing mostly stage, a little bit of film, but mostly stage work. Um, and I and I really love that. But in terms of traveling, um, uh, there are so many places like uh, uh, Kashmir, Srinagar in Kashmir in India and uh-huh. uh and Venice. Um, I have a lot of love for Italy. My my parents are both, you know, uh, from. Well, they're descended from 
uh, Italians, but um, I've been to a lot of places, but Venice is my very favorite. And you're not talking Venice, California. I ain't. <laughs> no. That's great. <laughs> have, have you been there a lot? I've been there three times. Eh, for I would say for most people, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, mostly I have traveled to places usually once, but um, a lot of the cities in, in Italy I've been I've been to uh, a few times. That's great. Do you have any relatives there that, that you know of and that you have visited? Yes, indeed. Um, actually, I haven't yet visited them, but my other uh, family members have, um, and they're uh, the family that exists, uh, they're kind of Southern, um, and, uh, they came to visit us here in New York and, uh, we stay in touch quite a lot. So they're, they're sort of great, uh, uncles and cousins. So that's your excuse for the next time you need to go back to Venice. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. Take a no, little stop, Sal. Nobody yeah. can question that trip. That's great. So you went yeah. to school in uh, in D.C. Where'd you go? Catholic University. They have, a, at the time, they had, I should say, a great drama department. And um, they even had a fine arts program so that after two years, if, if you know, you had to audition. And then if you got in, it became sort of, instead of a, a liberal arts college, it was a fine arts program. So that, that was a great thing because it was like a conservatory atmosphere, uh -huh. what I, what I should say. Um, so that was the best of both worlds. Cool. So you did a lot of theater then while you were in school. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And it but, certainly sounds like you did a lot of theater afterwards as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of, uh, school productions, a few little local things, but really I started working in the DC theater scene after, after graduating. So what's your favorite kind of theater? The absurd. Yeah. Uh, slash experimental. Like I really love Beckett and Pinter. Oh, Ionesco, Genet. Yeah. The, I, the kind of, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I saw a production of Endgame about, um, I think it was about six or eight years ago at uh, Shakespeare Santa Cruz that was just riveting. It's, it's, Weird shit, but it's uh, it, it was it was really a, a fascinating production, and the performances, if you if you you know can grasp somewhat of the play, uh, regardless, the performances were amazing. Oh, that's so so important because yeah. it is sometimes kind of what's going on. Yeah. Um, but but you do get I think what Beckett, you know, really intended if you've got great actors because it's it's so much about the subtext and what what they're feeling and going through at the moment mm -hmm. um so even if it's absurd it's still oftentimes universal you know yeah yeah the human experience yeah exactly so you posted a picture a while back uh from uh you were in dracula i believe that <laughs> was a that was just an amazing photo <laughs> I mean, I mean, that photo, you're beautiful in it. The, the staging of the photo was beautiful. The, the fact that he was in the background, just out, slightly out of focus. That, that was just an amazing picture. When was that? Oh, thank you. Uh, let's see. That was probably, okay, 97, something around there. And was that in D.C.? It was in Olney, Maryland, which was uh, Olney Theater is, it started as a summer stock theater back in the 
30s, I think, maybe 40s. But it became a full-time theater um, in the 80s. And uh, so it's part of what's considered the DC theater world. Mm. But it's probably 50 minutes away from the center of DC. Yeah. Well, that that was a great picture. I'm sure it was a great experience. Oh, it really was. And I got to live at Olney for a couple of years, actually. So it made it even more, you know, you really felt like an artist in residence because you were. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Doing Um, a lot of different things at once. Yeah. 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 Well, that's great. So do you have any favorite roles? Yeah, actually, there's a play by Christy Stewart Brown called Morticians in Love. (laughs) Not familiar with that title. No, I'm sure you aren't, but it's uh, a dark comedy, as you can imagine. And um, uh, I played sort of this uh, mortician's assistant who was secretly in love with her. And uh, and I was sort of um, kind of neither a, a, a woman nor a man. Um, you could never figure out, you know, what, what gender it was. So they called <laughs> it it. Um, but it was... Um, it was a great show because it had a lot of feeling, but it also had a lot of comedy. So, you know, I, I don't find that that often is is uh, a, an ex- a mutually um, inclusive, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, what's the word? Style. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really was. It was, um, it was very much really a metaphor for how people are afraid to get close. Um, so, you know, it was just set in the, in the, uh, kind of context of people who can only sleep with the dead or, or feel for the dead because they're afraid of, of the living. Hmm. Wow. Sounds really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I really, doubt really, that I will doubt that I will see it come up here in Tucson. But if I ever do, I will make sure to <laughs> make an effort to go see it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. They they have done it maybe in eight nine cities across the country. So um, it's possible. That's cool. So uh, a lot of theater work, and you said film too when you were in DC. Yeah, mostly when I was in DC, a little bit here uh, in New York, but but you know mainly very independent mm-hmm. theater. I mean, film pieces. Um, yeah, but very challenging. I got to play featured roles in in two of of the I don't know five or six that I've done, um, and that was just fantastic because in a way, it it mirrors VO and certainly audiobooks because of its intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you only have to think something and it reads on your face or in your eyes versus performing on the stage with a costume and makeup and, you know, yep. the presentational volume, uh, that sort of thing. So it was, it was a great challenge and, uh, and very enriching. I've, I've heard that said many times going from theater to film, you have to learn how to be small. Yeah, exactly. I know Michael Caine compared it to, um, how did he put it? Yes, that, that acting on stage is like performing surgery with a scalpel and acting on film is like performing surgery with a laser, <laughs> which I That's thought great. was an interesting <laughs> analogy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. So when did you, in the, in the um, span of time that you were doing theater, when did you start getting into voiceover? Somewhere in the... Uh, early part of my twenties, um, 
I was still sort of focused on the stage. Um, and a couple of friends had uh, been working for different companies, but one was a health insurance company, uh, which needed some VO work. So I did, I did that. And then as a result of that, because I went to a casting director's office, they would call me in and I would do anything from, uh, like, uh, an informational piece, uh, for a telephone company to, um, a, a commercial for McDonald's, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of all over the map. Yeah. Yeah. Which was great. And that's actually how I got started in audiobooks as well. It was between shows and Grover Gardner was an actor and uh, lived there. Uh, we were friends for many years, uh, even before he got into audiobooks. But um, it was between shows. And he said, why don't you proof my, you know, Hawaii by James Michener. So that was just the beginning of, of what became the audiobook world. 500 books later. So, so you proofed somebody else's work and did that spark your interest or, or did he say you should really do this? It sparked my interest. And I guess he did probably at some point, uh, I think he, you know, we had a nice enclave of, uh, actors who were friends. And, um, I think once he discovered it, he sort of, First of all, after a little while, after like a year or two, he opened up studios in his own, in the basement of his house. So he, he sort of recruited some, some actors, but even before then he did say, yeah, I think you could, you know, really enjoy this. Mm -hmm. And you did enjoy it. Oh, so much. Yeah. 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 And then after proofing, I became an engineer, you know, on the other side of the booth of the booth. And, uh, th both of those things helped me so much in terms of, you know, understanding pace and, uh, you know, the intimacy, the quiet read. So you became an engineer. Are you, are you talking mostly about the directing aspect or actually doing all the engineering with the starting and stopping of the software and, and whatever else the engineer needs to do? Exactly that, the plan B. And no it was kidding. not even, yeah, and it wasn't even software then, Rich. It was, I'm so dating myself. Uh, that's tape, okay. tape and razor blades. Uh, uh, almost. It was an <laughs> ADAT. I don't oh, know sure, if you yeah. even remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was literally rewind. And you could, you could rewind in fast forward, which sounds, you know, I, I should say in high speed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because, of course, that's that's oppositic, but, um, but you could, you could rewind and hear the really fast, um, mm -hmm, uh, and, yeah. and eventually you'd be able to pick out, you know, words. So you knew where you, where you had to go. That's, that's really cool. So you don't have to worry about dating yourself. I remember ADATS. I, the, that ah. was, that was a technology that came out before I started doing voiceover, but I got into voiceover relatively late in life. I certainly remember ADATS. <laughs> yeah. When did you get into it? Uh, I got into voiceover the first time back in the early 2000s. So it was, it was right when everything was going digital. Um, mm. I, I think up until the mid 1990s to about 2000, a lot of people were still uh, basically going into their agent's office to record and doing the auditions that way. And uh, very, I, I don't think that many people had home studios at that point. But right when I was starting, 
they they introduced a, a class in the the school that I was going to for uh, for voiceover workshops that was uh, I don't even remember what they called it now some something tech VO tech or something like that. And they were talking about the fact that, you know, a lot of people are building home studios now. And so if you want to do that, this is what you have to do. And I, I remember because I've dealt with software for my entire professional life. And so a lot, a lot of it was really easy for me to kind of slide into using this new kind of software. Wow, there, that's there were, great. There were people in this class who were like, well, I don't understand what you mean, but how does how does this work? And what did you just say? And it was really frustrating <laughs> because it was all really, really basic stuff working with a computer. Um, but it was great that they started doing that because within five years of that, everybody kind of had to know how to use software to record their own voice. Yes, yes. So that's, that's... That, that became a big deal. Yeah, and it's very interesting that you tried to um, educate, you know, the the early ones, um, because there was a lot of resistance. Yeah, there was. There were a lot of people in the class that were like, "Really? Do I have to do this? I mean, I mean, if I get an agent, can can I just doesn't the agent take care of that?" And (laughs) and I was like, "This is great for me. I'm happy to do this myself because it's really not that hard." Well, you know, different things are hard for different people. And, and so I don't, I don't fault them for having difficulty with it, but I could see the wave of the future. I could see that there's no way that this is not going to change in this direction at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you were prescient. You yeah. Really were because certainly has, he, certainly has gone that way. Yeah, it certainly has. Yeah. And even, uh, when I, when I, uh, first was given, equipment, you know, lots of heavy equipment, um, and lots of other moving parts, uh, from, um, books on tape in California, they, they paid for all of the equipment, like $10,000 worth of equipment. And they would just take the money out of your paycheck, like very, you know, 10% or something so that you still felt as though you were being paid. Mm -hmm, (laughs) But, um, but they, you know, it was lucky that I had been, uh, an engineer because I, I would have been very daunted. And when, you know, pro tools or, or the software, uh, recording programs came out, um, it, it was a learning curve and, and even though it's much easier, um, it's, it's still because I'm not a computer person, you know, naturally Mm -hmm. it, uh, it did take a little while. Sure, it's a learning curve, but having done the engineering side, uh, you knew what you were going to have to use it for. And and that's yes. another thing that a lot of people, I think, uh, just coming into it cold at the time, I, I think that's less common now. I, I think it still happens. But at the time, there were a lot of people coming into it cold. And it wasn't just a matter of having to learn this software. And I don't use computers. And uh, what am I supposed to do? It <laughs> was it was also, uh, it, was, it was more the what am I supposed to do? Because they didn't really understand what needed to happen using the software. So yes, having, exactly. having done the engineering side, I'm sure that was a big help. Oh, huge. Yes. So yes. what about now? Do you mostly record at home? Do you have a, a home studio yourself? Or, I mean, when you get high enough up the ladder, I know that a lot of times you are mostly working in other studios at the big publishing companies. How do you, how do you normally work now? You know, even the, uh, even the big publisher, uh, you know, workers are, um, oftentimes asked to have a home studio. Some of the companies just don't don't have the resources uh or they've closed 
uh, a large amount of their studios. So it's still a good idea. And so, yes, I do have, I do have a recording closet. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's ideal for auditions for my other kind of voiceover work, but, um, and even for audiobook auditions. But I do find it very challenging, um, though doable, it, to, to, record from home. But I would say it's like 50-50. I go to the studios half the time and I am asked to, to do something from home half the time. So why is it that challenge? You, I, I assume you mean it's really challenging to do an entire book. Yes, so, I do. So why why is it challenging? Is it because of the environment of living in New York or is it something else? It's, it's absolutely partly that because uh, I do live in a fairly populous area and I mean, aside from New York being populous, but um, it's, you know, it's very busy and sirens come every, I don't know, probably in an evening uh, every half hour. Mm. So you, you have to wait a good three minutes for the Doppler effect to, <laughs> sure, yeah. you know, um, spend out. But uh, no, I think it's because uh, left to my own devices, I'm really a perfectionist. So instead of getting two and a half, three to one, I tend to do, you know, five and six to one. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's, that's understandable to some degree because of the editing that you have to do. But, um, but I stop way too much for perfectionistic reasons, you know, acting reasons. And as a result, even though I think I'm doing a better job, maybe on that line, the entire thing, because it doesn't have as much of a chance to just gain the momentum of the, of the moment and the story. Uh, I, I feel as though it's not as, um, whole, you know, um, and also if you have someone else on the other side of the booth, there's, there's, uh, there's a second pair of ears, you know? Yeah. They can help in that way. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But, but mainly it's just that it, it takes me so, so long because I keep, you know, oh, I could do that better. But you know, the truth is we could do everything better. Yep. You know, I think, it, I think all of us, I think all of us struggle with that to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. The, the higher, yeah, the higher, the degree, the, the worse it becomes. But, uh, right, but right. I, but I think everybody listening understands that. So, yeah. um, so how would you say your work breaks down in terms of percentages when it comes to the different types of voiceover that you do? Audiobooks, commercials, documentaries? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that still my bread and butter is audiobooks, but I have, uh, you know, it's, it's now encroaching. I'm going to knock on laminate. Um, uh, I, I do, I've done several, uh, ID discovery shows narrated, mm -hmm. you know, those kind of tabloid shows. Um, and I do a lot of promos for Turner classic movies for the last mm, seven years. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So that's, um, it's more limited. It's, you know, there, it's not as plentiful as the, as the books are. Um, but it's, um, but it's, it's gaining, you know, sure. and, it's, it. and it's steady too. It sounds like, I mean, seven years. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, it, that particular gig is really steady, which is like, you almost don't want to say it out loud, you know, Yeah. because there are a lot of people who've done, you know, promos for ABC for 25 years and then they are just cut yep. forever, you know? Um, 
So yeah, through through I'm, no fault of their own, I think that the every genre of VO uh, to a certain degree, and I think promos maybe more so. Uh, it's the whim of whoever's in charge. You know, I need a different yeah. sound for that. Boom, gone. That's right. Exactly. The trends change. The yep. the idea of um, making the audience kind of making making the content, I guess, new and different for the audience. Um, I think a long time ago, we used to love to watch the same team play mm-hmm. basketball, for example. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, it's, it's hard to just stay with a team for a year without some changes occurring. Yeah. Um, and, and the same for so many different kinds of things. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So, uh, so in terms of audiobooks, you've done, uh, I think you said over 500. Yeah. So if you, well, not over, no, not over just about, like, I think I'm at 498. So right around 500. Yeah. I don't think we can, we need to quibble. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a hell of a lot of audiobooks. Um, yes. so, so I imagine that with that number, you've done audiobooks in pretty much every genre out there. I think so. I mean, let's see, I haven't done economics. Pretty much everything, or <laughs> maybe maybe any kind of math-related nonfiction, but but yeah, in terms of fiction and even nonfiction, it really has run a, a gamut that I'm very, you know, just like with TCM, I'm very grateful to be able to do so many different genres. Of course, there are the niche genres, you know, especially starting out that I was typecast in. Um, but now, uh, I think because of my age, but also, uh, just because there are more books being produced for audio that there, you know, it, it creates a a bigger playing field for all of us. Sure. Yeah. So, so do you have any favorites? Genre wise? Yeah. I love dramatic fiction. Uh, I, I just would, would do that all the time if I could. Um, and it doesn't have to be dramatic. I just mean that it, it, you know, a true story that has, uh, you know, some kind of humanity at its, at its core rather than stylistic stuff, which is interesting since my favorite theater is so, you know, absurd. Um, but, uh, but things like sci-fi and vampire romance and those sorts of things, I really, I really dig it, but I, I really get uh, a better, I don't know, uh, a better sense of fulfillment from uh, just, a, just a story about people. Really good, you know? solid story, yeah. Uh, I believe that if you type in Carol Monda on Audible, you don't come up with 500, so I'm guessing you have a pseudonym or two out there. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never try to out people on their pseudonym, but is that just for uh, romance, erotica type stuff? Yes, yes, it is. And uh, in one case for political, uh, for a political book that uh, was so incredibly against my, uh, you know, uh, personal beliefs that um, that I did, you know, choose to. Be anonymous. <laughs> so that, that's actually 
really interesting to me. I ask everybody about that because uh, I've I've experienced that. I've uh, had to had to make decisions myself, and I know that some people feel like, well, I'm I'm a voice actor and and I'm acting, and when yeah. I when I go on stage and I play a serial killer, nobody thinks I'm a serial killer. If I narrate this book, that doesn't mean I'm endorsing it. I'm simply using my voice to try to tell a story, even if it's nonfiction, trying to tell a story. But there are yeah. other people, and I I would put myself in that category that um, I. I won't voice certain things because it does go against, um, you know, how my core values, core beliefs, however you want to put it. So, um, so how does that play into, into your choices for work? In this case, was it a book that you agreed to do under a pseudonym or was it a book where you were planning on doing it under your name, but then when you read through the whole thing, you decided I can't put my name on this. That's such a great question. Because, uh, in, in my opinion, because, uh, there were two instances. One was something that I that was anathema to me, and I asked for a, a pseudonym because I had, you know, it, it didn't come up which which name I would use. But after reading it, I did ask. But at that point, they said it was, you know, too late. And so I just said exactly what what you sort of indicated or intimated the idea that, hey, I'm an actor. I, you know, it does not mean I believe uh, these these things that are stated. Um, but in the other case, I exactly did. Uh, think it would be just my name. And then I, I asked and fortunately it wasn't late, you know, too late mm -hmm. to, to get it changed. Um, but I, you know, I, I kind of have a conflict about using a pseudonym for things that are personally, you know, uh, uh abhorrent, <laughs> right. Offensive, <laughs> to, abhorrent. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're right. It's it in some ways, you know, it is our job just to serve the piece as best we can. And it's not about what we like yep. or what we c connect with. I mean, you have to, you have the job of connecting, but it's again for the, for the audience, not for you. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I think if I were given the, uh, opportunity again, I'm, I might, you know, use my name. Erotica is different because, I just feel like, you know, Aunt Griselda might uh, <laughs> just have a heart attack. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I understand. I, I think the reason that for me it's such an interesting topic, people are probably going to get sick of me asking people about this, but I think for me the reason it's such an interesting topic is because it's one of those areas where I don't think it's anywhere close to black and white. And and I I don't think that I will ever come to a – this is the way I'm going to do it for the rest of my life kind of <laughs> kind of stand on anything. I think that it shifts and I don't think that that's a bad thing, but uh, it is uh, it is a conflict sometimes. I know that there are, there are a couple of things where that has been true for me and so I'm sure that it's true for other people. I I hope that by asking the question I can I can get people interested in continuing to think about it and and having their own views on it evolve. Yeah, and I think you hit on something really, really vital, which is it's a case-by-case -case basis, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it could be a topic that you don't love, but it's written in a way that, uh, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't seem actually damaging to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to society or to cultural thought or sociological, you know, consciousness or something. Right. Um, uh, but, but yeah, it's, you're right. There's, it's, it's never good to say never or mm -hmm. always, 
you know. Because invariably, you're going to have to eat those words. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Very yeah. true. So, uh, so you've done uh, romance and erotica, and would you think would you say that that's kind of a, a niche for you, or uh, is that just one of the many genres that you enjoy narrating? I would say that it's uh, typecasting wise, it's it's a niche that um, seems to come up uh, even now uh, fairly often. It it was uh, kind of more common in uh, the last. 17 years. Um, and at some point, maybe two years ago, I was reading something and it was so, uh, violent, uh, in its sexuality that I, I wrote to, uh, the, the, the man who works at the company who casts and, um, you know, we, we have a great relationship and I just said, you know, I think I'm just getting too old for, for this kind of thing. <laughs> um, and, and so he, he's been very good about, you know, kind of, um, limiting, but sometimes, you know, there's a series that I may have started five years ago that's still being, you know, done. Now. Sure. Yeah. The author's still uh, going. Yeah. So, um, so I will do those. Um, but, but, uh, I, I would say yes, that, that in general, I tend to get better. I shouldn't say better. Uh, I should say, but that does obviously it tells you where I where my judgment lies, which I try to, you know, not cultivate. Uh, mm-hmm. I try to cultivate non-judgment, but um, but I have been getting for better or worse, and I think it's better, uh, you know, quote unquote normal mm-hmm. stories, yeah, or yeah. or niche stories that are not erotica. Well, that's good. So you, so you had a relationship with the person that you were working with who was totally open to hearing your preferences. Yes. And I was so, even though I had known him and worked with him for over 15 years, uh, I was so reticent because I, you know, you don't want to be a diva in this business and you don't want to be a prude either. Um, because again, it's not about you, but if you're going to really cringe every time you do a sex scene, it's, you're not serving the audience. Right. You're, it, it, it's going to really, affect the performance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No matter how hard you try, I think. Um, so I, I, I did then make a decision that, um, uh, ever since I, I mentioned that to him, I would, when, when given, uh, something that that I kind of couldn't say no to or, or chose to just, you know, let's stretch ourselves. Um, I, I decided to just get into it and not think about me. Just think about the person who really wants to hear these kinds of things. Because as you know, I think, uh, it's the most, uh, it's the highest selling genre. Oh yeah. 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 Way, so, up, way up there. Way up there. Yeah. So, so, uh, that actually has worked. I've, I've done a few since that time that I kind of, you know, uh, said no. And, and of course there are tons of other companies who, you know, haven't heard me say, please don't. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I, I think I found the key, at least for me in, in terms of being able to do it without feeling like I have to take a shower. after. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's great. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, I'm, I, 
think that everybody listening will be just as interested as I am in hearing some amazing Carol Monda narration. And I'm not going to ask you to narrate something that you feel uncomfortable with. But if there's anything that you feel comfortable with and you would be good with a, a live read, I would love to just sit back here and sip some brandy while you narrate for me. Oh, isn't that nice? Um, <laughs> well, I will warn you that it's been many well, okay, let's see, probably six years since I, I did this piece, but I do like it very much, and uh, so I, I guess I could give it a shot. Yeah, no, that'd um, be great. What, what is it? So this is called, uh, even though I said dramatic fiction is my favorite, my, my second favorite, and it's a real, you know, runner-up is, uh, you know, it's very close to, to the first choice, is um, detective slash mystery, especially noir sort of pulp, mm -hmm. you know, almost with attitude. Oh, yeah, uh, I love that shit. Character work. Yeah, it's so fun. Yeah. You know? Um, so this is called Claire DeWitt and the City of the Dead by Sarah Gran. She uh, wrote subsequently Claire DeWitt and the Bohemian Highway, both of which I, I did. And now she, I'm seeing her name uh, as the writer of several shows like, um, I think, uh, what is that show, Billionaire with uh, uh, Paul Giamatti and... Uh, oh, he's great. Mm, I think it's called Billionaire. Anyway, uh, there have been a couple of other, you know, sort of HBO-ish shows that she's she's writing for. So um, I I miss her <laughs> novel writing, but um, but she's very good in in any of the genres that she does. Cool. So so this book is about a, a woman who independently uh, has decided she's a private detective, and. Um, you know, she's kind of not your usual uh, private eye. She she um, is, mm, how would you say, she's sort of a kind of irreverent and uh, uh, not interested in being professional as much as she's interested in being good. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but she does have that sort of uh, noiry. Uh, come from, you know. Sounds good. Yeah. Oh, good. So, so um, it won't be a long piece, but let's see. Uh, oh, that's fine. Here are we. Here are we. I'm, I'm just going to call um, the bartender over, and I'll, I will sit back and oh, listen. Oh, good. Oh, good. Great. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, okay. I just for some reason I'm. Uh, yes. Okay. So the context is that uh, she's meeting for the first time after C Katrina. She doesn't live in New Orleans, but she's come there uh, because there's a, a man who has lost his uncle, and he doesn't live there either. But but sh but the uncle did, and uh, he's gone missing. This is great. So it's a, a noir uh, crime drama that takes place in the Big Easy with a um, a non conventional woman PI. Yes, that's, exactly. That's great. That that sounds like a great recipe. It's yeah, it is. It's a really neat uh, storyline, but also style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. okay. Have at it. All right. Here we go. You know what it says in the Bible? Leon said with resignation. Look out for thine uncle as you would thine self, or whatever. I don't think that's in the Bible. I said, but it's a nice thought. Leon shrugged. 
Oh, and there's one more thing, he said. A kind of important thing, even though I don't really think it's true. What's that? I asked. There's someone who says he saw him. Saw him? This crazy guy, Leon said. Jackson. I mean, I don't think that's his real name, but that's what people call him. And I don't think he's that crazy either, but he's, you know, a street person. He hangs out in Jackson Square. Homeless guy. Used to be a musician, I think. I don't really know. Anyway, I saw him when he came back to town, and he saw me. And we stopped to talk for a few minutes, and he said he had seen Vic. He knew that Vic was my uncle. Jackson said he saw Vic down near the convention center on Thursday. Thursday, I said, after the big flood? So he says, Leon said doubtfully. He said they stopped and talked, and Vic gave him a few dollars. Thursday, I said. So that would mean he was still alive after the worst of the flood. No wall of water or anything like that. Well, yes, that's what it would mean, Leon said. He shrugged. I don't know. Jackson's a nice guy, but, you know, I'm not sure he has a firm grasp on the day of the week. We sat quietly for a minute. Can I ask you a question? Leon said. Yes, I said. Ask. How old are you? Forty-two, I said. I was 35, but no one trusts a woman under 40. I'd started being 40 when I was 29. Wow, Leon said. Sorry, just, you know, you look really young. Wow. Do you do something or... Water, I said. I drink a lot of water, eat a lot of fresh fruit, and I do a lot of yoga. I'd never done yoga. I rarely drink water. It really helps with the collagen. And I heard you were in the hospital, maybe, Leon said hesitantly. There was some issue regarding mental health. Oh, no, I said. That, (laughs) no, not a hospital. It's crazy how rumors spread. That was like a retreat I did. Like an ashram? I'd never been to an ashram. I'd had something like a nervous breakdown and had ended up in the hospital. Now, can I ask you something? Okay, Leon said agreeably. Sure. Why me? I asked. Because, you know, I'm one of the most expensive detectives in the world. And with travel expenses and everything, and the rumors, Leon frowned and said, well, I asked around and people said you were the best. That's true, I said. I am. That's it. So that sounded great. That that was awesome. Aw, I, I love I love hearing the live narration now after I heard so much of it at um, in the Listener Lounge at APAC. Uh, I, I love hearing people narrate live. Yeah, I, I do too. And yet it's funny because we're all used to being in the privacy of our own booth. And yep. there's even if there's an engineer on the other side, it's it's still this kind of vacuum that mm-hmm. you're in. You know? Oh, yeah. So. So whatever you're reading, uh, like when I did the Listener's Lounge, I I was so struck by the idea that even though I spent years on stage, this was so vulnerable to Mm -hmm. to see these people out in, you know, in the audience, as it were. Um, 
because it's just a such a different medium, you know. Yeah. No, I love it. That sounded great. Could could hear uh, the different characters. Could hear the. Uh, I, I and I I like the writing too. That was that that does oh, sound yeah. like a great book. I mean, with her, you know, I, I started being forty when I was twenty nine. You're right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, she is very funny, and and also, um, she she has that kind of. Hey, I don't really care about anything, even though I really care about mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So, in addition to all of your uh, all your voiceover stuff, you coach. I do. Thank when, you for saying. When when did you get into coaching? Well, I started actually teaching like the week after college because one of my acting teachers, uh, we just we just became very close, and she invited me to teach at a summer camp uh, for acting and for movement and for speech, but you know, not really voiceover. Wow, um, this was right after you got out of school. You must have made a hell of an impression. I, I, well, that's, that's Louise Mansky for you. If she's out there still. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, and that was, you know, since I already dated myself, that was 87, uh, 80, 86, 86. And, uh, so, um, I, I really loved the idea of taking, you know, I had uh, trained for a long time before college, so I, I did feel like I could I could sort of offer something to um, young people, at least, uh, you know, I think they were 10 to 18 or something. Nice. Um, Get them while they're young. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then I just kept teaching acting in many different schools and programs in DC, but uh, somewhere uh, right before I came to New York, two years before, uh, I, I started to to teach voiceover because I had been doing more of it. Um, and so that was really the beginning. Uh, and then when I moved here, I, uh, I did so much more work in the voice world that, uh, it only made sense. And one of the things that I did was, uh, kind of a ask the expert, uh, program with edge, uh, like seven, eight years ago. And, uh, so David called me the next day and said, you know, how would you like to coach for us? So that was a, a, a formal, uh, sort of program that that I began to uh, to do regularly mm-hmm. but but I still had private students and I now take more private students than I than I have students at edge because I don't work uh, for edge as often but I also work for GVAA oh yeah and, uh, yeah um, and then just at you know various workshops like with Johnny Heller and uh, other other people. Yeah, Johnny's great. I went to the uh, oh. I went to the Splendiferous workshop the day before APAC for the first time this year this uh, earlier this nice. year. Yeah, it was it was fantastic seeing you guys up there and listening to everybody and then especially I loved the uh, the lottery coaching. Uh, it was, it, it was great. And the way that I look at that is I'm sure that the people who were on stage getting the coaching, I was not one of them, but I'm sure that they had a great time and learned something and everybody in the audience learned something too. 
And I'm glad that you say that because, of course, sometimes we feel bad that we only have this amount of lottery spaces, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that, you know, it would be great if we could have one on one time with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it's true, at least from my experience in acting classes. Uh, I learned so much just from watching my colleagues and the teacher or director in plays. Um, so much just watching yeah. and listening. No, that, yeah. that has definitely happened to me in many workshops that I've been in um, over the years for other genres, not audiobooks, but also in Johnny's. Uh, you, if, if you're really paying attention, of course, everybody wants that one-on-one time. But, uh, but if you're really paying attention and, and you're open to it, you can take a hell of a lot away from watching somebody else get direction because you hear what they do and you compare that to what you would do and yes. you think, oh, I would do that this way instead, or I would love to do it that way or whatever it is. And then yes. you hear the feedback and then you hear how they do it differently. And you, you can get a lot from, from watching other people. And this is why, Rich, the biggest thing that I lament in terms of the changes and progress that we've made in the audiobook world, it's it's the loss of the director. Um, mm. I, I tell you. In fact, the Claire DeWitt books that I have done, um, in addition to other ones, were directed by Paul Rubin. And that's oh probably why I loved it so much, because we really got into and underneath the text. Um, and so when you're in a vacuum, it's, it's very hard to, to be that critic or that, um, turn it on its ear and think of a new way or what would a director say, or, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, so I do think that the second best thing is being in a class of some kind, um, so that you can watch that process because it's true. Even, even a coach who, um, uh, may, you may not agree with, you can still see the actor taking the direction and, and that it does, as you said, change mm-hmm. the delivery. And that's very exciting. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it was great. I think that watching all of those, you know, the little tiny bit inside of me was like, Oh, I didn't get picked. But then actually listening, yeah. to, uh, listening to everybody, it was, uh, it was riveting every time. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yes. So when it comes yes. to uh, to audiobook coaching, what's your coaching MO? What's your uh, how, how do you approach it? Do you, does it vary by student or is it mostly the same with different material or is it more of a curriculum, same material for everybody or how how do you approach it? Uh, thanks thanks for asking uh, because I have um talk to so many colleagues who also coach and it's, it's even that is very varied. I mean, uh, I will, I will do a Johnny Heller workshop in Rhode Island. Uh, we've, we've done two years now where, where everyone does get at least some one-on-one time, but there are also panels and classes. Um, and I, I have found that even their approach is, uh, uh, different, let alone their coaching kind of philosophy or syllabus. Some have syllabi and some do not. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I would say that mainly what I will send to particularly private students who contact me uh, is that, you know, we, we deal with a lot of different topics, um, everything from pace 
to intimacy, to connection, how to connect, really connect moment to moment, to character development, to um, uh, even even things like flow and uh, the logistics of different voices and that whole school of thought I know you've heard tons of times where some people believe you shouldn't give a character voice and some think, you know, this is acting. You absolutely have to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, imbue these characters with the uh, traits that, that, you know, we read about from the author, from the character, from from uh, other characters in the world of that piece. Um, so so I'll, I'll very strongly touch on, on that idea of uh, voicing characters um, and, and even questions. So that's, that's like the overall mm-hmm. um, the kinds of topics we'll, we'll touch on. Um, but also even logistics, like how to mark up a text for audiobook versus commercial work, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then lastly, if, if the student comes in with, this is what I really want to either develop, cultivate, refine, or find out about, um, I will I will fold into the mix those kinds of things. Like uh, there are quite a lot of women who, who say that they're very afraid of doing male voices, and so they've stuck with nonfiction, um, <laughs> largely. <laughs> um, and, and there are a good amount of men who also feel like, I don't know how to do women, and, um, and they'll, they'll try it anyway, but it oftentimes does uh, kind of, it delivers as a voice rather than a human, you know? Right. Um, so, so I love actually taking what the person individually wants to get out of it, um, and and it's very easy to to include that in the overall kind of uh, uh, what would you say format of of my teaching. And yes, uh, they they change copy um, from not week to week because you know you want to get at least a few weeks uh, of of really investigating and delving into a particular piece. Um, and if they're if they're geared toward a demo, it's a little more fast paced in in the beginning. We you know we look at three pieces that they've you know really uh, decided were perfect, and then we realize well maybe that one isn't so you know it doesn't uh, represent you as well, or it's not as marketable as other genres might be. After so there's working a, on it for a while. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and or even early on, if they if they come to the first session with these are the three to five pieces that I really want to put on my demo, I will be able to tell by the end of that session, you know, kind of that one maybe either it's not very popular or y- y- there are other people who who kind of nail that and are typecast in that genre, but, but one that you didn't represent in your choices was, you know, mystery or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so, so it, it will vary, uh, depending on where I think they are, you know, take them where they are and then bring them someplace they, they need to be, or take them where they are and they're absolutely sort of in the pocket and you just refine and tweak. Mm-hmm. Pretty, the, pretty, uh, pretty tailored approach. Yes, it is tailored. You're yeah. right. Even though those 
you know, Uber concepts that I mentioned uh, earlier are inevitably touched on. Sure, that's going to apply to everybody to to some extent, but then um, tailoring it to specific needs. Well, in terms of those kind of overarching concepts, so someone contacts you, say a male narrator, and says they're looking for a coach specifically because they're looking to break into romance. So what yeah. bullet points are you going to tell that narrator that he has to excel in in order to do well in romance? I'm just asking for a friend. Oh, great. Um, I would say that the, the most important thing is that I need to be open enough to hear them first before I say that, as a rule, this genre requires that. Um, I, I kind of want to hear what they make of it initially uh, so that then I can, as you said, tailor th the work. But there are some um, absolutes, I would say, uh, like when you're when you're given direction. You know, one of the hardest things to me about romance, aside from the um, erotica aspect, uh, which which exists in some of the the more uh, hardcore romance, um, is that. You know, inevitably you get the guy who has a gravel voice. I mean, it actually says he sounds like gravel or <laughs> he, he has his whiskey smoke sexy voice. Um, those kinds of things that um, that while that is a piece of direction, you also have to uh, really endow that character with a human sound rather than just the trait you know, you can't just play sexy. In fact, I don't think you can play sexy. I think you can play the circumstance that makes you hot. You know mm -hmm, what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so, so those kinds of things do, I do say as, as overarching ideas that, um, that it's intimate, that you have to really um, create something other than a caricature because a lot of the romances are written formulaically. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, after a while, a lot of people just go on automatic pilot and that's my sexy man and that's my ingenue woman. And, you know, uh, these kinds of um, go to sounds rather than this is still, even if it's formulaic, a different book from the last romance mm -hmm. I did. And what is different about it, either stylistically or rhythmically or melodically or just the people, you know, who mm -hmm. are these people? Yeah. Yeah. Makes I don't sense. know if that answers your question, but uh, but uh, I guess it would be a mix of you know those those mainstays of romance, um, but also the you know uh, some people have a harder time with the the sex appeal part, or others have a hard time with she never loved like she did in that moment. You know those mm -hmm. those very uh, touching you moments. Know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, that definitely answers my question. That's that's good. So, in your coaching experience, you ever have any um, any bad experiences, or, or not even so much bad, but just anything out of the ordinary? Um, come across somebody who needed more work in one area, and then all of a sudden became a star because of the work that you did with them, or anything like that. Mm. Oh, that's yes, actually, that has happened occasionally. Usually, what happens is that someone comes to me and they have uh, either the instinct and or the background in something, even if it's public speaking. Um, 
but usually it's acting that that makes me know okay i really am here just to help them fit into this genre or um get deeper and more real and authentic and mm-hmm. grounded you know uh but but occasionally someone um who I was just told all my life I have a great voice or <laughs> I love reading to my kids or, yeah. um, you know, uh, uh, I just, I just, something in me has always wanted to do this, but I, you know, I haven't done anything in, in that world. Um, and, and some people have a very hard time taking direction. They'll say, okay, yeah, I got it. And then they'll do it the same exact way. Oh, yeah. So it teaches me that I need to to employ different language, different um, uh, bullet points, as it were, you know, to to actually penetrate the the way they think, so that they so that they can come up with something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it takes a while because their ears aren't developed yet, so they think they might be doing something that that is, you know. Uh, in alignment with what you just asked of them. Um, but it, but it just isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you do have to just kind of, uh, learn again, their language, but also, uh, uh, kind of beat it into them. Um, but sometimes it's, yeah, that, that has definitely been my experience. And, and my guess is, I don't know this for a fact, um, haven't talked to enough people to know, but my guess is it's because I don't, I didn't have an acting background from way back. I had an acting background from a certain point, and then I started huh. voiceover substantially after that. But ah. I did, I did not have an acting background from like junior high and high school and college. It was, it was well after that, and so it's really easy for me. It has been in the past, and it, it still is. It's still kind of a something I struggle with. Is um, you know, well, you want to do it this way instead. So you do it again. And, and well, I did do it that way. Well, no, you didn't really. Um, and, and so it's, it's the kind of thing where I, I don't have the ear and I, and I'm, I feel like I'm going in a certain direction and it's not far enough, even though it's in that direction a little bit, it's not far enough to actually get what the person was, was saying that, that should happen. Yes, and yet uh, I, I I feel this so often um, uh, in the acting world where you you make a choice. It's very distinct. It's specific. And in notes in the notes session, the director says, "Yeah, you know, do it like this." And you're thinking, "That's exactly the choice I made." Yeah, <laughs> but, but it's true that that probably. The, the the real dirty secret is they got that idea from from the indication of what you were doing and they decided that's a good choice let's really see it really explore um, it yeah yeah um, but I I think it's also true in audiobooks you you think you're going a certain place but maybe you're being too subtle mm-hmm. uh, and and maybe it's not real. You're not committing to it, or yeah. you know, it's an an overall idea in your mind, but you haven't invested it in your gut. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, that's 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 one of the uh, really important things I think that has made a difference with uh, at least the some of the clients I've had. You know, some are even they. They don't even know how to breathe very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why should they if they haven't, you know, had acting or yoga or whatever? Right. Um, 
but uh, but if they work, if they rehearse and really do exercises that are, you know, diaphragmatically strengthening or, or you know, even taking a few deep breaths every day, a few times a day, or doing the scales or doing tongue twisters, even those basic foundational things, and sometimes even for actors, you know, uh, who skipped those parts, now in audiobooks, because we only have your voice to, to tell us everything instead of your body, your face, your, you know, right. Your and, gesture, your, and your mouth is right up next to that microphone. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, but yes, I, I would say that there are, um, some really great success stories. Like there was a, a person who was very young and also, um, had a lisp and, um, you know, wanted to do, uh, really important stuff that, that frankly he would not have been cast in, but we worked together and, uh, he trusted me that, that he needed to go see a a speech pathologist, uh, for that one issue, as well as continuing to work with me for developing acting skills. And, and he really, he's doing great. Fantastic. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll bet that is, that has got to be one of the most rewarding experiences oh. in coaching when something like that happens. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, it's always great to see the light bulb go off, but yes, it is so gratifying when someone goes from a, a, a true, you know, fledgling to, um, to a really consummate, confident, uh, evocative deliverer. Yeah. That's great. I'm, I'm sure that you love that. Oh yes. Yes. I really, I really do love working with people. You know, they, they often say those who can't do teach, but I think those who teach the best do. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that most of the people that I have spoken with, not just here in, in the audiobook speakeasy, but, uh, you know, throughout my voiceover career, uh, I, I don't think that has been the case. I think that that's a mm-hmm. popular phrase to go to, but, uh, I know that there are a lot of great coaches out there. Yeah. Who do. Yeah. And they just, they love sharing it, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. even if it means that, oh my God, you got the job that I went up for mm-hmm. and I taught, you know, but yeah. that's, that's actually, it should be an accolade. You yeah, know? exactly. You feel good about that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this has been great, Carol. I'm so glad that we finally were able to make this work. Me too, Rich. Seriously, this has been really great. And thank you for the penetrating, probing, exciting questions. Oh, sure. My pleasure. I, I love getting stuff. Somebody just commented recently that they were, they'd learned a lot from the, the episodes that they'd listened to. And I said, so hmm. am I. <laughs> wow, I know. I, right? I, I consider yes. myself very lucky to be doing this and uh, speaking with the people that I've gotten to speak with. Yeah, I'm glad that you that you feel that way. But we feel that way, too. I, I can speak for at least the ones you mentioned. Um, I, I know that we all are really appreciative that you've brought us to a, a to a nice, comfortable, conversational place. Yeah, you know? no, that's great. I, I, I have loved every minute of it. I, yeah. uh, I'm hoping to make it to APAC again this year. I'm, I'm about 99% sure that I'm going to be, um, be able to register for that. I need to check a couple of things, but it's looking like it. I, uh, I certainly hope that you're going to be there again this year. Yes, I certainly will. Yes. Cool. So hopefully yeah. I will see you there. Yes. If not before, for some reason, you never know. Yeah. You never know. You can, you can, uh, come out here to Tucson because of course there's no reason for me to ever go to New York. Of course. Why would you? <laughs> nothing, um, nothing happening there. 
you know, uh, you joke about it, but uh, just like Johnny Heller, I love to go to other states uh, if if there are even five people who, you know, want to take a, a weekend workshop or even a one day workshop. Um, you know, that that that's a very there's there's nothing quite like working with people one on one in a in an intensive kind of atmosphere. Close knit group. You know? Yeah. No, yeah, it makes a big yes. difference the uh, the size of the workshop. So I'll I'll keep you in mind. I know that I talked to um, Jamie Matler recently, and oh, um, and she has family out here in Arizona. And I know that there are yes. at least a few of us who are doing voiceover scattered throughout the state. Probably more than I'm aware of. Almost definitely more than I'm aware of. But um, mm. but I know that there are several of us. And so uh, I don't know. We might be able to uh, to work something out and get some get some people together for a workshop, and uh, maybe you'd be able to come out for that. Yeah, that would be great. You know, I talk to Jamie a lot. In fact, she's she's engineering and directing a book that I'm doing currently for Blackstone, and she has been so helpful. She is a great director. She has specific moments where she just says, "You can just hear there's this pause," and then she. You can hear the wheels turning, mm -hmm. and then she'll just come out with this pearl, and you'll go, "Yes, of course!" And you feel stupid for not having thought of that. <laughs> but that's again why two brains are better than one. Sure, so, the value uh, of a director. Yeah, so we've we've talked about even doing work together because I think it would be just a great team, you know. Well, based on what I heard uh, speaking with her and what I've heard tonight speaking with you, I can imagine that would be a great team. Yeah, yeah. We we have a lot of similarities and we have a lot of different approaches into those uh, similarities of, of, of uh, bottom line belief system and, and, you know, what are the requirements, you know. Sure, what works. Yeah, yes. So uh, where can people find you? Uh, oh, Thank you. It's carolmondavo.com is my website. And if you're interested in private coaching, it's carolmondacoaching at gmail.com. If you're interested in working with me through GVAA or through Edge Studio, go to their websites and just, uh, uh, you know, ask, ask for me. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I'll be doing a couple of workshops. One will be on audiobooks uh, January 23rd for GVAA and then again in July for commercials. Um, uh, and I just finished a short form class at Edge, but I'll be doing others. Where's the uh, where's the GVAA in January going to be? It's actually a webinar. Oh, so it, web based. It, it okay. Just, yeah. In fact, all of GVAA's coaching and classes are are webinar based. That's great. There's a lot of great people at GVAA. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, really great people. That was uh I think it was David Rosenthal who started that, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. He's still he's still at the helm and Christina Malazia who is a you know just a tour de force of uh animation and cartoon work. Um, she's she's great. I met her at uh, Wovocon a couple of years ago oh. and I I actually studied with uh, David Rosenthal back in back in the uh 2000s. Uh, oh. this, this is probably about 2005, 2007, something like that. Um, when I was living in the Bay area, cause he, he was oh. in San Francisco. I, th I think he's still in San Francisco, isn't he? I or, think or maybe he is. LA. I'm, I'm not it, sure. It, 
you know, I guess he is actually, I think he was in San Francisco, but I, I, I do think he's closer to LA mainly because, um, in addition to the GBAA webinars, um, they, they will take some people, you know, in person there. Mm, okay. uh, but, but isn't he great? He's he is so, great. I love David. He oh my was, God. He was, great. he was a great coach. And I got to, uh, I was lucky enough to work with him a few times as well. It was one of oh. those, uh, one of those campaigns that keeps on giving. So there was a, oh. a there was an auto mall that was, uh, about a half a mile, I think from where I lived in San Jose. And unfortunately oh. we had to record all the commercials in San Francisco, which was about an hour away when I was lucky. Oh. But, uh, but he, he and I, and, and Mary Windishar got together and, um, we did those commercials. It was a great creative team, the agency that created it. And, oh. and it did well for the auto mall. And so they kept writing new ones. And I think I, I must've wow. done eight or 10 different commercials in this one campaign. That was, that was, it was a lot of fun. Wow. That is really cool to be yeah. able to say that you did not, not only ongoing work, but ongoing work with peers you respected. Oh you yeah. Know? Yeah. It, that's, it was, that's, it was great. David, David was so much fun to work with. He's so creative. And, uh, same thing with Mary, with Mary Windishar. She's, she's a, uh, consummate professional. So it was, it was a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I find David very creative and just very, um, uh, he, he allows himself to be silly, even though he's, you know, the main, you know, guy, yep. uh, of this, of this company. And it is very professional and he knows how to be very professional, but, um, he doesn't have to know you long enough to show his true, just sort of fun, playful side. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. very relatable guy. I love David. Yeah. Yeah. Same with Christina as I'm sure you know. Oh yeah. Just, I met her very briefly, but, uh, she was great just talking to her just briefly and I've heard so many good things. So oh, it sounds, yeah. sounds like a great organization. So that's, that's great yeah. that you're working with them. And I know a lot of people who have done a lot of stuff with edge as well. Yeah, of course. Yes, sure. And I, they and are at, at that same WovoCon that I went to, um, David actually did a, a short one hour seminar. Uh, actually I think I went to two of his and at first I didn't know who he was. I didn't know anything about edge studio when I went to that uh -huh. convention and uh, after going through the the two hours that he did, I was like, wow, this guy gets it. This guy you knows know, so much stuff. It's so true. He it and it's to me, it's really interesting that he started Edge as basically as a music studio, you know, production house uh, because he was a musician and he was really into, you know, not just playing, but singing and writing. And um, uh, and it just it became uh, largely the voiceover studio it is, um, because he realized that there were a lot of people doing this kind of thing who, um, really needed just some, some basic fundamental chops, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and he has built that over 25 years, uh, into not just basic fundamental, but most provocative, most, uh, exciting. Um, and he still really stresses like, you know, the, the technique stuff. So mm -hmm. he's, he's kind of a, a great, you know, mix between, uh, don't do glottal stops. And how about if, you know, you give me more, uh, you know, sense of how much you love this product. I love you know? that because, because yeah. it is, it can be any, any one of the genres can be, can have such a requirement to have a marriage between the technical and the, mm. crea and the creative. Oh, 
Absolutely. So yeah. it's, uh, that's great. And that's, that's what I, uh, in a nutshell, I think that's what I came away with after doing the sessions that he did at that conference was, oh, yeah? just, wow, he, he can, uh, it, one of them was everybody got up and, and we had like a really short, like a 15 commercial and, and you would like do a read and he'd say, do this instead. And it was technical. And then he would say, nope, do this instead. And it was more on the natural speaking as opposed to the technique, like you said, glottal stop or whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, and it was like within, I don't know, two minutes, the read was like 100% better. Jeez. So I know. It was, he is, it was great. He's the voiceover whisperer. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a good way to put yeah. it. I think a lot of these people are who, you know, the people who run these organizations that that uh, uh, really are tried and true and, and have years of experience behind them, as opposed to people who I'm going to do a weekend seminar and you're going to come out with a demo. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. Please don't do yeah. that. No, yeah. I know. Anyway, yes, you were saying goodbye. All right, yes. Yeah, so it, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming in. Gosh, thank you so much. You are welcome. I look forward to seeing you soon, whether it's Tucson, New York, APAC, whenever. Amen. <laughs> All right, thanks, Carol. <laughs> okay, thank you. Well, that's it for tonight. I'm so happy that Carol Monda could finally make it into the audiobook speakeasy. I hope you enjoyed our chat as much as I did. You can find the audiobook Speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, a place where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you could visit patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy and donate a buck or two. A quick shout-out to Cheers Kevin and Kirk Graves, who signed on as patrons. Many thanks for helping me to get this show out there, guys. Until we see you here at the Speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!